All right, podcast listeners, episode 251 is about to begin with Matthew Ibrahim. And honestly, this episode is just plain amazing because Matthew is one of those guys that's just one of the very few on this planet that's a very good human being. The way he presents himself, the way he talks with passion, you just... You just want to hang out with the guy and he is super intelligent when it comes to training when it comes to becoming a professional in the industry he was one of those guests where i just like would ask one question and he just went off it was great tons of information in this episode so without further ado here's matthew Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me for the first time is Matthew Ibra. Him, say hello. What's going on, brother? Uh, you know, same old, just going to crush another episode. <laughs> um, well, th- thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. No problem. So I always like to start the show with, like, super easy questions. So the first easy question is, what are you currently reading or listening to? <laughs> It's a great question. I, um, other than you know, schoolwork and kind of the textbook and diving into that fun stuff, um, um, reading David Goggins can't hurt me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I follow his Instagram page. He's he's pro- probably one of you know on the motivational end of things, but he has a good story, a good, a good kind of purpose to what he's doing. I think that's pretty good stuff. I've always jumped back on books that I really like, so um, I always forget the name of the author. I'm looking for it right now. Give me a moment here. Malcolm Gladwell, so the tipping point. Oh, um, yeah. Tipping point, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. I've, I always like going back to books that I enjoyed. Um, I love, I've read it recently. I haven't, I haven't read it, you know, in the past couple weeks, but a few months ago, Grit by Angela Duckworth. Um, these are books that I think that obviously aren't really exercise science or, you know, sport performance or, or S&C related, but they help me from the psychological aspect of things or beha- behavior change and stuff of that nature that obviously d- certainly impact what we do with athletes and, and training clients. So, Yeah, I think like in our industry, it's like it's so much more than just learning from a textbook, right? Like you, you got to connect with another individual because like you can have all the knowledge in the world, but... You know, if your personality is as interesting as a doorknob, you're not really going to keep people around. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, do you have, like, a book list that you follow, or do, like, does people just recommend you books, or, like, how do you kind of find your next one? It's a great question. I literally just search what people are reading on social media yeah. of, of people that I respect and people that I follow. And, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, it's just, like, things that you're like, okay, I like that. Yeah. I'm going to keep looking at that. Okay, great. That person reading that. Okay, great. Let me go to that list. And I just can keep compiling things. But truth be told, I'm not a humongous book reader. I know I know that most people are. And, and don't get me wrong. I find great value in, you know, expanding your vocabulary or, you know, being a wordsmith and, and learning knowledge and, and experience. But I know that I do much better through hands-on application, hands-on learning, um, you know, breakout sessions. So that stuff kind of does better for me in terms of my learning style and obviously podcasts and audiobooks, you know, those fit, those fit in there as well. Um, you know, I honestly sift through a lot of social media and blogs and articles and, you know, it's, it has nothing to do with, you know, I'm too busy. That's not the case at all. I just, I just like things to be quick and efficient. And so I'll read some stuff from inc.com or some of the, I guess, more business or entrepreneurial side of things is, um, and you know, there's only so much we can learn in exercise science and, you know, physiology and kinesiology and all those type of things and physics. But I try to learn some of the business side of things, hopefully, you know, help enhance that, 
um, skill set of mine, which I'm not too good at, but I'm trying to learn to be better at. And so in terms of my overall development, I think it helps by having a wide array of, um, you know, knowledge and education that you're receiving. Nice. Um, so the next easy question is, what is the current TV series you're watching? So we just, I just finished up uh, season three of Stranger Things nice. on Netflix. I, you know, I, I gotta be quite frank. Season one was incredible. Uh, took a little while to start. Season two, similar to season one in that it took a few episodes to really get into it, but then it really, it really, it was a grand slam toward the end. Season three, you know, sadly. Everyone, including the show itself, grew up. They got they they, yeah. they they matured a bit, and the show the show matured a bit. And it was a great season. I thought it was awesome, but it leaves you obviously with some questions and some you know some some things at the end to say, okay, yep, they're setting up for a season four. So I thought it was great. It's probably one of my favorite uh, TV series so far. So I've been just kind of jumping into that, and then any sort of scary or horror movie I can get myself into, I'm always down for that. Nice. Yeah, I'm hoping that for, like, season four, they'll kind of wait a couple more years and then kind yeah. of, like, film it in the 90s rather than the 80s to kind of, like, get the nostalgia back. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It was – I love the 80s, the throwbacks and some of the, you know, some of the, the stuff they're wearing, some of the pop culture stuff. I think it's great. I truly love it, to be honest with you. It's almost like um, the Goonies meets sci-fi yeah. and, like, yeah. they had a baby. So, I, <laughs> dude, I, I'm a nerd. I love that stuff. I think it's great. And um, going to see The Lion King this Friday. So that, that's nice. another thing that I'm going to be seeing yeah. as well. So big throwback guy. Awesome. Um, so last easy question. What is your biggest pet peeve in everyday life and in the fitness industry? Toilet paper roll, man. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. It, it, okay. I'm a big fan of, okay, the toilet paper, the, you know, the, the, the piece that you take from, that has to come from the top, not underneath. And if you're someone who does underneath, we can't be friends. And then you said something about the fitness industry. Yeah. I think this, the mindset of, you know, quote unquote, you're the expert or, you know, quote unquote, like, you know, oh, you know, why aren't I, why, why aren't I there, wherever there is, why, why aren't I there yet? Or why haven't I reached my goals yet? So you got to be patient and you have to understand that you'll all, you should always have a rookie mindset because that means you're open to learning and being flexible, kind of being like the bamboo stick, if you will, um, and, and avoiding this whole fixed mindset. Yeah, 100%. Like, going back to that toilet paper thing, I remember someone posted, like, an article of, like, the original patent for it, and it actually showed exactly how you're supposed to have it. And I was like, boom, there you go. It's it's done. <laughs> it's awesome. But um, it's a big debate. It's a highly debated topic. <laughs> yeah. But, like, going back to, like, you know, people saying they're experts, like, I, that bugs me so much because it's, like, you, you can't really be an expert in anything, really, because there's always new stuff coming out. And, like, when I came up with my ebook and I was reaching out to people to help me promote it, um, one guy sent it to one of their business partners who's um has a PhD in physical therapy and asked if it was okay to like review the whole book. And I'm like, hell yeah, that'd be awesome. And I actually, am going to schedule a call with him to actually go over every little bit of my book of the stuff that, you know, he said, like, maybe you shouldn't say it this way, say it this way instead. But, uh, yeah, like I'm always looking to like improve myself. So if someone takes the time to like, you know, break down my book into pieces to tell me where I could have improved then like, by all means. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's get this thing going to do a little intro of who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry in the first place? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, a little background on me. I think like anyone else, undergraduate degree, exercise science. Um, I spent six years getting my bachelor's degree. I know that's a little atypical. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Messed around. I just wanted to work out. Didn't really t- care about classes. Unfortunately, wasn't driven. Um, always found, you know, a passion in, in exercise, working out, training, reading anything that I get my I can get my hands on, and just learning. Um, obviously, at the time, I thought, well, this is kind of cool, but what, you know, I can't. This isn't a profession, and I never thought that that that's where I was going. Um, failed a bunch of courses. It was like 12 or 13 to be exact during my bachelor's. Again, wasn't really putting the effort forth. Didn't really care as much. Um, and looking back, you know, I could say, oh wow, what a shame. You know, what what, what type of regrets I should have, but I really don't, because if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so. Um, it, they were great learning lessons. Uh, I don't know how, but somehow I landed an internship at Mike Boyle's um, back in the fall of 2011, and I was super fortunate because I was surrounded by some amazing, amazing people, coaches, human beings that you know are some some of the biggest names in the field now. And so, you know, I absorbed some knowledge. I wasn't as savvy or as I guess driven back then, kind of like I alluded to earlier with academic stuff. And so, um, you know, I did okay there, and then. I wanted to learn a bit more on the rehab, physical therapy, and kind of the sports medicine side. So I was working in PT clinics as an aide or as a kind of a rehab tech or just basically you're assisting the PTs in the, the rehabilitation of, of uh, patients and clients and athletes. And so I liked that stuff. I liked the SNC training stuff, but I wasn't sure if I could ever combine the two. And I guess I wasn't as – I was a little I was a little bit naive. I didn't really understand how, how I could do it. And so, um, you know, I tried to get into physical therapy school for a few few years in a row locally didn't get in you know try three years in a row didn't get in but all this time as i kept receiving these letters of you know hey you're, you're not allowed in um, or rejection i guess if you will you know it, it helped because it pushed me to keep going further and also kind of expanding what i was trying to do so i, I remember during that time i was taking i had just finished up my bachelor's degree i was taking night courses you know prerequisite courses for doctor of pt school i was working as a rehab aide in the pt clinic i was working as an exercise instructor in a senior citizen clinic i was you know personal training out of my garage i was doing some strength conditioning strength conditioning coaching in a local sport performance gym i was pretty much doing everything that i could and um you know taking night courses like i said and I was shadowing and observing and phone calling and talking to every single person that I could that I that I respected their work. You know, I was like, hey, you know what? I like what they're doing. Let me just go see if I can provide value to them, but also just sit there and be a fly on the wall and learn and observe. And, well, if they're not local, I'll go on a phone call or whatever it may be. And so um, I did that pretty routinely for probably six to 12 months, and I did a lot. And uh, looking back, you know, that was a, a, a really rich I guess, you know, unorthodox, but academic period of my life, because like you had alluded to earlier, it it wasn't textbook driven. It was completely just, I just wanted to learn and see what people were doing that was, that was successful. And so after not getting in for the third year in a row, I ended up, I I ended up spending one year part-time in school for license and massage therapy. And while I was doing that, I was, you know, just strength coaching, coaching clients, coaching athletes, training, I mean, you name it. I mean, youth, high school, college, some semi-pro, pro people, just a variety of sports, a variety of settings, a variety of backgrounds. And I think the thing, the most important thing, it didn't matter to what level the pedigree 
that the athlete was. It, to me, it was more what was more meaningful was how do I win this this athlete over? How do I build buy-in? How do I build rapport? How do I build you know this teamwork, this team effort, this coach to athlete relationship? How do I use effective communication skills, soft skills, right? The communication strategies. How do I build these things? It's not just about the X's and O's of training and exercise science and physiology and physics and kinesiology and anatomy. And don't get me wrong, all of these scientific things are really important because they serve as the basis and the, you know, the foundational components of what we do. But we have to be able to meet the end user where they're at, right? You know, you have a, a wide variety of people coming in to see you. Right? You know, you got a 15-year-old tennis player who wants to play D1. You have a 45-year-old. Um, woman who just came off pregnancy, who's trying to work off some, you know, get back to her, her previous levels. And you got a, a 62-year-old marathon runner who beats up their body a ton with all the, the ground contact forces of running and so on and so forth. And you have everywhere in between. So you have to be able to meet these people where they're at, try to figure out what goals they have, but also what are, the, what are their intrinsic motivational factors, right? Because if you can get to know the person, you'll be able to better help them on their path. And then also, how do you get them there in a safe and effective format with the minimum effective dosage, right? And so you really have to truly understand and really hone in on the scientific principles, but also apply all that knowledge in a, in a cohesive, simple, digestible format so that they can understand it. But also, all the while, you're building this hopefully awesome kick-ass relationship with them. And so it's not easy, man. So... Um, you know, that's what I was trying to do, and I was learning from people, but, you know, amidst getting my, it was night courses for massage therapy school, so it was part-time, I was, I was coaching athletes and whatnot, and ended up getting it, and so I, I was working, I guess you can call it full-time, I was doing, you know, literally to the, to the hour, about 40, 40 to 45 hours a week, it was half of it co- coaching and, and coaching clients and training people, and half of it was doing manual therapy, and I knew I didn't want to do the one hour, one hour restorative, you know, massage therapy. I know there's value there. I'm not against it. It's just not my thing. I wanted to be able to compliment someone who was training and had some minor nicks and bumps just from a maintenance standpoint. Okay, let's do some soft tissue manual therapy. Great. Let's do some corrective exercise. Okay, great. Let's go hit. Let's go load. Let's go load that stuff. And so um, that's what I was doing for about a year after getting my license. And um, I found out at that point, I was like, you know what? I don't just, I just don't think this is for me because for, I was fortunate enough to at that point have created a lot of great relationships with a lot of great clinicians, physical therapists, chiropractors, you know, athletic trainers, doctors, other massage therapists. And I was like, you know what? I can, I can talk the talk with them. I understand the sports medicine side within my role as a coach, as a strength coach. Why don't I just use that knowledge to be able to collaborate and act as a team mate to these sports medicine professionals as we cohesively and collaboratively, you know, provide health and performance for these athletes. And so I realized that, you know, amidst all that time, I prefer the coaching, you know, seat at the table. And that, that's where I know I can be most effective for my athletes. And so um, that's what I do now full time. And um, I, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by some great awesome clinicians, um, in our area, both in-house and out-of-house locally. And so, you know, when the time is right, we punt the ball out when, and when the time is right for them, they punt it back. And so it's a mutual relationship. And obviously the, the most important thing is at the end of the day that the athlete gets the best service and best product. That's the most important thing. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at now. 
That was a long, long answer, which I absolutely love. But um, <laughs> like the big thing I noticed is like you always have this like drive to learn. So I'm kind of curious if you can even answer this. Like, where do you think that motivation comes from to continuously learn? I think that I'm not a natural learner. I, if, if whatever that may mean. I mean, I'm not someone who can pick up a textbook and say, "Yep, let me read it in 90 minutes." Okay, great, I can teach you the course. I, I just don't have that skill set. But I, what I do know I have is that I'm eager to, and I'm curious, and I want to make sure that I don't just learn something, that I master it, and then I can apply it. Because if I can't apply it, to me, it's useless. And so my biggest thing is I don't just want to learn information. I want to be able to master it fully, understand where it comes from. I want all of the context. I want to know the derivatives, the details. I want to know every single bit of information. And I guess some, someone, may, someone may listen and say, wow, information overload, this guy's an info guide. Sure, they may say that, but I think to be able to master something, you kind of have to turn over every single stone to say, you know what, I can apply that. Or, you know what, at least I saw it, but I can't apply that. And so you learn. So I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, a long time ago I realized that I thoroughly am passionate about helping people, and I'm lucky to be able to use the field of strength and conditioning as the vehicle to drive positive change. And so if I can help people get better in any facet of health and performance and wellness, then, then that's my goal. So um, by me having kind of this thirst for knowledge and learning, it's because I know that I, whatever I can learn, I can apply then in, you know, by helping them from training and coaching and, and programming and all these things and, and teaching and educating. So I guess that's where it comes from. Um, I just really want to be better, and, and I think that, you know, like kind of like we talked about earlier, I, I don't think that the whole expert thing really scares the shit out of me, to be honest with you. I don't like that. I, I don't like when people are called that. I just don't think it's it's a great term. I think, you know, being a lifelong student or a lifelong learner is is much more helpful because it means you're open to change. And like like you and I both know, there's tons of uh, literature. There's tons of research. It's it's an it's an ever evolving. It's, it, this field is always changing. So, if you're not open to change and 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 being challenged, right? Healthy challenges through with your with your, I guess, colleagues. Then it to me it seems like you're really closed-minded. And if you're closed-minded, I don't know how you're going to get back and pay it forward to help the field advance. So that's kind of the long-winded version of why I like to learn. No, that was really good and. I think the next question is like, cause I don't know I've always been a person that always enjoys learning. And I think that becomes like my addiction. I'm like always looking at conferences and courses I can go to. And then I'm like, okay, how much money can I blow this year on education? But <laughs> then sometimes I meet other coaches in the industry and like, you know, they've never heard of who Mike Boyle is. They've never been to a perform better or any of those kind of like things where to me, it's like, seriously, you've never heard of this person. Like, how are you a trainer, right? Like, so how would you try to like help motivate or kind of push those coaches in the right direction? Cause like sometimes they just get into almost, I, I think like a rut where they're just like, Oh, I've learned enough. It's good enough. And that's it. I think, I mean, the most important thing to me is, you know, people, professionals like that in any field, you have people in any field of work where they hit this roadblock of complacency. And you have to ask yourself, okay, good. I can help them as a friend or as a colleague and say, hey, what about X, Y, and Z? What do you think about that? 
Sure. Could that be helpful? Yeah, it may be. It may not, but it's worth it. But then also you have to ask yourself, well, am I just giving them an easy way out or am I enabling them to continue this complacency? And so to me, if you're not someone in any field of work, and I don't care, we're talking about music, food, fitness, health, fashion, whatever. If you're not self-driven and self-motivated, if you don't have that kind of intrinsic drive, whether you're, you know, someone who's outwardly expressive of it or you keep things really internal, everyone's different, right? If you don't have that, I think you'll succumb to failure enough to the point where you'll say, you know what, maybe this, maybe this ain't for me. And so to me personally, you know, if it were a staff member of mine or an intern of mine or a close friend, then yeah, sure, I, I might, I might, I might, you know, swoop in like a dove and try to put my hand on their shoulder as a teammate and say, hey, you know, how can I help as a teammate? How can be, how can I be supportive of you? But um, or if someone reached out to me, but I got to be honest with you, man, I'm sure like yourself as well. I really put a lot of credence and value in, in the in the people that work hard and commit themselves to the process, whether the athletes of mine, clients of mine, staff members of mine, interns, friends, colleagues, so that those people, to me, are my priority. Anyone who's on the outside, I mean, I'm more than willing to help if they reach out, but you got to kind of have to, you know, fucking get after it. You have to kind of do things. You have to, you can't sit still. You can't become complacent or content. You have to ask yourself, I'm sorry if I keep swearing. I know, I know you, you're okay with me swearing, but I guess it's just the passion of me. And I think the most important thing is you have to figure out, okay, what is my one? What is my three? What is my five? What is my 10-year plan? Where do I see myself going? Because if you don't think about these things ahead of time, it, you're not going to prepare. If you're not prepared, you won't be ready for when that moment occurs. And so I guess you know these long-winded answers may or may not be worth them all for you, but my hope is that they are. But you have to be driven to do these things, and you can't – you can't go through a field and not know who some of the founding fathers are, who the leaders are, who are some of the pioneers of, of, of the sport, if you will. Like, you're not going to play basketball if you don't know who Michael Jordan is. You're not going to, you know, work in the field if you don't know someone like Boyle or Cressy or Gray Cook or Charlie Weingroff or all these bigger names. Are. You have to understand that a part of learning is also going back and, and, and being a an historian and learning, okay, what are the roots of the game? Uh, who started it? How did it start? What are the, you know, why did they start it? Why were they saying this then? But why, why, why did that philosophy or strategy change now and so if you don't go back and learn the history of the sport history of the game history of the field then you're really not doing yourself any any good because we keep coming back to the fact that things are always changing there's a reason for that i guarantee you though for the most part a lot of what we're doing let's say in your facility or in my facility or a facility out in nebraska or out in i don't know brazil or wherever around the world the majority of the shit that people are doing is pretty similar, right? Like no one's like, wow, I invented this phenomenal exercise. It's called the hula hoop slam dunk 360 where you twirl on your nose and, and, and bicep curl a dumbbell. Like it doesn't exist. And if it does, obviously we know it's a bunch of bullshit. So we're all doing similar stuff. We might as well collaborate and talk amongst each other and, and work as a team cohesively. And you kind of have to put the effort forth to do that. And so you got to be self-driven would be the short answer, I guess. No, oh, I love it. Like you're just spewing out like bombs here. It's awesome. Um, but kind of going back to the whole idea of like being open to change. Like I always kind of reevaluate every single year where I like think back. I'm like, what have I changed this year from, you know, a year ago that I used to do with clients or patients and then start picking part of like, holy shit, I can't believe I used to do that now or like, oh, I've improved doing this. So I'm kind of curious, like what have you changed in this past year when it comes on like to do with training with clients or athletes like is there anything that kind of stands out where you're like 
that was a big change or did like there was something you kind of tweaked a little bit? Yeah. I, I mean, I think number one, I try to listen and be as understanding as possible. By no means that mean I'm a pushover. I'm, I will get in your face in, 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 in a very loving, caring, respect, respectful way at the right volume, depending on who the end user is. I'm not going to yell, obviously. Um, but, you know, you have to match energy levels with the person, each individual person. But what I'm trying to get at is I think the skill of listening and to have the the skill set of empathy and understanding, these are big skill sets, right? These are soft skills if you really think about it. And so we're given all these hard skills of, okay, you know, squat, you know, give me a tripod stance, you know, femurs up, knees or whatever, all these, you know, coaching cues, if you will. We're not given the, well, how does that feel? Where do you feel that? Um, you know, could you have done more reps? Uh, how's the weight feel? You know, how was your weekend? You know, yada, yada, yada. So inputting soft skills, but being much more precise with how, when, where, and why I input it. Um, listening more than I talk. And I know that doesn't sound too great right now because I'm doing a lot of talking. But <laughs> in coaching, I feel as though we have all of these awesome cues on our wide tool belt of coaching that we want to just freaking spew off like daggers, right? But at the end of the day, you and I both know that you really have to individualize how you coach and how you cue. And some of the best coaching and some of the best cueing is shut your mouth as the coach. Don't say anything at all. Let them learn in a, in a, envir- a rich environment, right? And obviously safe, safety and integrity at the forefront. And I feel like I always have to pre- uh, say that just to, because someone listening may think, like, what the hell is he talking about? But l- listening, understanding, let them learn. Listen to them. Your clients will tell you a lot of information. They'll give you a lot of the information you need if you just take the time to listen. Uh, um, I think, you know, the other thing is not getting or being emotionally attached to exercises. Rather, just know that all of the basic archetypal human movements are what they are. Hip hinge or deadlift, if you like to call it that. You know, bilateral squat, some sort of split squat derivative, upper body push-pull, you know, carry shit, sprint, you know, the anti, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, of the core, right? These are all basic stuff that we do to some extent in all of our, you know, gyms, performance facilities, training facilities, or what have you. So the patterns don't really change. It's, you just, you have to understand that not everyone's going to barbell back squat. Not everyone's going to barbell front squat. Not everyone's going to barbell bench press. Not everyone's going to, you know, dumbbell foot squat. There's a variety of ways to load things. There's a variety of reasons and and intent and purpose behind all of these things. You have to understand that as long as the client or the athlete gets the adaptation that you want to impose on them for the stress to occur and for them to adapt to that and then have that outcome be X or Y or I want to be more vertically powerful. Okay, great. Let's do that. I want to be able to, you know, throw a faster fastball. Okay, great. Let's do that. There are so many ways to get there. You have to take a lot of things into consideration. It's not just being married or emotionally attached to exercises, right? And so, sure, do I love the barbell deadlift from the floor? Yeah, like some people do, some people don't. I happen to like it because it works well for me. But it doesn't mean our clients all have to do that. Sure, there are some of them that do, but most of them, they trap bar, they barbell rack pull, they kettlebell deadlift, they kettlebell swing, they do pull-throughs, they do you know tall nail hip thrusts with, a, with a, a band around them, their waist for resistance. It depends where they're at. 
you know, their experience, their training age, their age, their their goals, right? Their injury history. Um, you have to really take a lot of things in consideration and not get so emotionally attached to, well, you know, I need to do that. And, and then get you get into these, all these stupid, silly social media wars. And it just becomes this, it's not really helping anyone grow. And so I would just say, listen more, be more understanding, and don't be so emotionally attached to exercises. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's a lot of coaches that are so attached to exercises, like you said. Like, I even remember when Boyle first said, like, you know, he stopped back squatting his athletes. Like, he was just against back squats, and he got so much flack on it. And that was, like, I don't know, maybe six years ago, five years ago. And, like, recently, maybe a month ago, I posted something about the back squat, how I was not a big fan of it for, like, general population. And I always kind of, like, imagine, like, Steve, the accountant, who's been sitting at his desk for 20 years and hasn't exercised. And there's a lot of coaches that, that kind of, like, you know, just put a square peg in a round hole. And they're like, yeah, back squat's awesome. And I had so much flack from all the powerlifters that follow me saying like yeah it's just funny how people are just not open to like oh maybe there's something else i could use to help this person squat better well i mean that's the thing like that's i don't what i don't get is people they just try to force feed things you know and it's sure if you are a power lifter and you compete or, or you let's just let's just say you like the sport okay great and that is a goal of yours, or if the goal of yours, hey, is I want to back squat, then yeah, technically you're either going to back squat or, or build up to, to be able to back squat. Okay, great, 100%. But if your goal is to, I don't know, build lower body strength and get out of, get out of left knee, maybe your left knee has been nagging, you had a pathology or whatever, or an injury, old injury, or I want to get my left knee just pain-free, and I want to be able to play tennis with my daughters pain-free, and I'm 45 years old. I mean, I mean, I can, we can go right now and go off a list. I mean, you can dumbbell gob, box squat that person. You can dumbbell goblet squat that person. You can landmine squat that person with, with, a, with the end, you know, holding the end of it. Or you can add a Viking so it's a neutral grip, right? I mean, you can go, shit, you can go barbell front squat. You can go SSB squat. And, and at that point, that's like six to eight exercises there. Not to mention, we haven't even touched on tempo, eccentrics, isometrics, full tempos whether it's ECC, isometric, concentric, like you can just fuck around with so many different things here before we even would even question the back squat. And let's say you get to that point and you say, Hey Ed, we've been, we've been crushing for like three years now and you've kind of done every squat in the book. Do you want to kind of back off and just do some, you know, metabolic type of squats? Maybe it's a, you know, sand, like a 30, 40 pound, 30 to 40 pound sandbag. Maybe do a clean complex with a front squat for metabolic conditioning, yada, yada, yada. Take, take, kind of take a phase off from loading the spine. Or you say, you know what? Technically, you're at the point you have enough shoulder external rotation. Your T-spine has enough relative extension. You have a pretty strong core. Low back's pretty healthy. Your squat's money. Like, bro, do you, do you want to try it? Sure, I'd like to. Or like, nah, not for me. Okay, great. We can have that conversation then. So I, I just think that you have to look out for their health because I think some of the best strength coaches in the world serve as the health insurance plan for their athletes. Meaning you're watching out for what they're doing in the gym. You are like the number one person in line to provide safety and health, right? Wellness, right? Joint health, orthopedic health, tissue health, you know, nervous system, how, how it jives with the, the muscular system, neuromuscular, right? So how do we put them in a great position, like cognitive brain health, how they think the coordination, their proprioception, their balance, their awareness, their ability to know where they are in space, right? You are the front 
leader, in my opinion, and obviously you have to collaborate with great doctors and sports medicine professionals, but you're the first person in line because they come to you between one to four times a week to train and exercise, which as we know, it technically is a, is a form of medicine from a, you know, a feel-good uh, um, uh, you know, standpoint from what the research tells us in terms of, you know, it helps with, uh, it's, it's an antidepressant if you think about it, right? And so if you can provide the proper dosage of exercise to them and put them in good position to be healthy long-term, then you should do so. And just know that, you know, force-feeding exercises like the barbell back squat it may not be the best thing for certain people. Now, I, I barbell back squat because I, I do some competition powerlifting. By no means am I a competitor. I do it for fun. But, I mean, truth be told, will I continue to do it long term? You know, I'm 30 years old now. I, I'm not so sure. I do love it. I do enjoy it. I do feel I've gotten better at it in four to five years now. But I guess it depends where I'm at. I mean, do I think long term the SSB might be better for me? And for those of you who are listening and don't know, don't know what SSB bar is or a yoke bar, SSB bar, essentially it's if a, if a barbell front squat loads you more so anteriorly or to the front, a barbell back squat does the opposite by loading you more so posteriorly, posteriorly or to the back. SSB, if you look at the side of the barrel, right, the barbell, it's kind of in that middle and it allows you to keep your – it's more shoulder friendly because your, your elbows are by your side. You can use tension, use lats, right? And so it's a little bit more shoulder friendly and back friendly. So who knows? Maybe maybe I'll go to that long term. But um, to me, you really have to individualize every single thing that you do with every single individual athlete. Nice. Um, the other thing I kind of want to bring up too, because I, I think you're kind of like me, and you kind of get excited about certain things in the industry. So I'm kind of curious about like what's really exciting you in the industry right now, where you're like. Oh, this thing just came out. I'm really like excited to start using it. Or you know, there's some new research coming out, and you have to like wait a couple of years to see if it's going to be a new thing you implement in your training or philosophy. It's a great question. Uh, it's, it's quite a thought-provoking question. It's <laughs> yeah. good. It's very good. Um, you know, I try to do my best to stay up with the research and the literature because obviously I'm in school now, and so I have to look at some of that stuff, and I enjoy it. Um, you know, I'm I'm a simple guy, man. I, I I like to make sure that what we dose or prescribe from an exercise and training standpoint for our athletes is battle tested. It, it it's been through the ringer. It's you know it has both some level of research and literature behind it, but also some level of experience and you know training. Actually, like you've seen someone use this before, you see the validity and you see how it can provide good results, and so. It takes me a little bit of a while to really give into, okay, you know what? I've seen that thing about four or five times now, whatever that thing may be. You know what? Let me give it a shot myself. Okay, great. I've tried it out. Hey, staff, let's go through this. What do you guys think? Okay, great. Now it's been through a variety of uh, of settings. So you know what? It's kind of at the point now, you know what? Let's test this out in our model. See if, these, see if people like it. We'll start to sprinkle it in. And this may be an exercise for training. For strength training, for it might be a recovery, it might be a warm up, it might be whatever that we, you know we dose from a, from a movement standpoint. Um, I don't know that there's something specific off the top of my head. I do know that I try to keep it on mind. I try to learn as much as possible, and I you know I just recently I guess maybe this answers the question. I just recently purchased the um, it's it's from Onnit. It's the steel mace. Um, I've seen it for about three to four years now. I respect what Onnit does. 
Um, and I've seen people use it that I respect. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, it looks kind of cool. Maybe, maybe I'll buy one at some point. Um, and it got to the point where I was like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to buy it. It's, uh, it was the, the, the July 4th sale or whatever, and I was feeling like, you know, I guess trigger happy. I was on my phone. I was with family. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to buy it. And so I bought it. I've been messing around with it a little bit. Um, to me, it seems like a novel stimulus you can you can you know implement into a training program is it the main feature no it's something you may want to add in you know here or there sprinkle throughout it's not going to be as widely used as the kettlebell or the dumbbell or like the trx or the trap bar or you know medicine ball or something like that but or bands or mini bands but it's something that could provide a novel stimulus and the cool thing about it is you, you really i mean they only sell it in i believe Eight pounds, ten pounds, twelve pounds, or fifteen pounds. You really can't go too heavy. It really requires a lot of, you know, tempo work, transitions. You have to body control. And so, to me, you know, let's say you throw a one leg RDL in the warm up with the, you know, the 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 on it steel mace, and you do a let's say let's say you're doing a kettlebell one leg RDL contralaterally loaded. So the right foot is the stance leg, left leg goes back, left hand has the kettlebell. You just switch the kettlebell out. And you switch the on it, the steel mace in, and you load that side where the kettlebell was with the ball in, so it's loaded more on that side. So it kind of acts as a similar format. Throw that in the warm up. It, it may provide some proprioception, some balance, some stability, some awareness. It may help them groove that pattern a bit better. They may like their hands out in front, shoulder width, more so than one hand. It may help them balance a bit better. And it's just, again a novel stimulus. Um, again, another simple way to apply it. You can just hold it. Let's say you're doing a squat an anteriorly or front loaded squat and you hold the the on it steel mace vertically so that the the ball end or the heavy end is at the top you put your your hands uh, about i don't know six to ten inches apart i'm not an expert here with it at all by any means i've just been playing around with it and you just go squat up and down and it had the cool thing about it is it allows you to have a little bit more relative t-spine extension upper back because where your hands are located but also that the the weight is loaded in front of you so you really reflexively have to stay tall through the t-spine so it's kind of nice again nice little toy novel stimulus it's kind of cool we've been messing around with it a bit we haven't implemented it yet but we're on the kind of verge of being able to okay how can we apply this strategically and those are a couple of exercises that we're going to put into the uh, system so far yeah, like that steel mace thing is kind of interesting to me because I've had my eye on it too for the last, I don't know, two years or so. And only now I've been seeing like Josh Henkin, the sandbag guy, starting to like use it a little bit more. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pay attention a little bit more and see if like everyone's going to jump on it. Because I feel like when more people jump on it, it's kind of like when the landmines started getting super popular, everyone started getting really creative of what you could do with it. And I'm kind of waiting for the same thing with this, like, steel mace thing. Like, eventually, everyone's going to start using it and have, like, their creative juices just, like, flow through the Internet. And now you're like, okay, I guess I need to go buy one now. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean, same thing with exercises. I mean, that's that's why I'm a big fan of, the uh, you know, the quote-unquote, the 10-minute brain dump. I mean, you take take any exercise you want, right? Take something as simple as a squat. Take 10 minutes, a pen and a pad. And just jot down literally every and any single version of a squat that you could think of. It doesn't have to be in order from progression yet or regression or at all. Just literally every implement you could think of, every version of a squat, just brain dump. Ten minutes, boom, done. 
And then that allows you to be creative in that sense. And then you can go through and neatly organize from progress, from all the regressions all the way to the progression to see how, oh, you know what, maybe I missed something or what. I didn't think of that. So it allows these openings of creativity to really happen. Oh, 100%. Um, the other thing I was kind of like curious about, and this is like kind of like just open for discussion, is like the one thing, I because I went to the Perform Better this past weekend, Long Beach, and I'm starting to see a lot of people kind of mentioning and talking a little bit about like flexion of the spine when it comes to exercise and it was interesting enough like Gray Cook and his hands-on we were doing a lot of correctives where he was getting people like touching their toes constantly going into that forward flexion and even Boyle's trying to like talk a little bit more about yoga and things like that and I'm kind of curious like your take on like would you consider doing any kind of like flexion based exercise with any kind of client? And I know it's kind of like an open-ended question, but mm -hmm. I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at evolution, I mean, human beings are meant to move. Right. And so it's only within the last, I don't know, maybe 60 to 80 years that traditional or I guess routine based strength and conditioning has come into play. And so to me, I think it's completely healthy to explore all ranges of motion through every single joint in the body in, in, with your body weight in unloaded fashions mm -hmm. and doing it at obviously, you know, respectable, dosed out, strategic, thoughtful, um, you know, prescriptions, meaning, you know, nothing's wrong if you just want to drop, get out of bed and just, you know, touch your toes. Or get up out of bed and, you know, arch all the way back, right? Extend your spine, flex your spine, rotate. There's nothing inherently wrong with these things, but what happens is a lot of people, especially in our field, will take things out of context. And so let's say, for example, you're in the weightlifting community. You do Olympic weightlifting. Maybe you're on the Russian weightlifting team or the German or the, or the Team Japan or whatnot. And obviously these you know, more European-based um, you know, athletes and people who you know, partake in weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting, there is this kind of hot exercise that goes around in their world called the Jefferson curl. And so that's where you stand on, on top of blocks, elevated off the ground, let's say anywhere from, I don't know, two, four, six, eight inches. I don't, I don't do this. So I don't, I'm not sure, but I've seen it. And I, and I've seen some people use it that they found success again in this specific world or this sport. And they have a barbell that's loaded with, I don't know how much is on it, but significant, let's call it 135. And they literally do a toe touch with the barbell, you know, they're holding and they go below their toes. You have to ask yourself, well, is that wrong? Is that bad? Well, to me, as a neutral bystander, I'm going to sit there and say, this particular athlete, when they do Olympic weightlifting, when they catch every single barbell overhead, they're in a pretty extended position in their spine. Right? You have to look at their positions that they spend the most time in. So then you have to ask yourself, well, would doing the opposite position loaded, you know, lumbar or spinal flexion, be quote-unquote bad or wrong for them? I would say probably not because you're allowing them to explore all excursions of joint ranges of motion. So maybe it is applicable for them. Again, I don't have experience here. I'm not going to talk more on that, but that's just kind of my thought. Whereas let's say someone who, you know, with, with low back pain – there's so much research and information out there. Well, is, is trunk stability exercises, are those good for it? Are they bad for it? Well, some of, it, some of it's helpful, some of it's not. Well, should I do some spinal extension like prone cobras or supermans? Or should I do some, you know, uh, I guess, you know, uh, tall kneel and then I rock my butt down and I 
my butt down to my heels, spinal flexion or, you know, child's pose or whatever. It really depends on the person. So to me, my overall, my overall answer would be, I don't think it's a big deal. We should be able to explore these ranges of motion in an unloaded body weight uh, standpoint. I think it's completely fine. I don't see any issues with it at all. At all. Obviously, you know, let your body be the guide. If, if doing a certain motion, whatever that motion may be, bothers your back and doesn't feel good, then obviously do some research and look into that. Hire a skilled, you know, sports medicine professional, hire a skilled coach, figure out what works best for your body and go from there. Um, I just don't think we can, like, the whole green check, red X stuff, like, you know, that's wrong, this is good, that's bad. That, every single person is different. How, how, how do we, like, how do, sure, there are exercises that work well for most people. Like a dumbbell goblet squat works well for most people. It's a pretty simple thing to do. It's very, it's very you know, basic level stuff. But for some people, and I'm not saying you're saying this, but for some people, people to say, well, you know, spinal flexion is bad for you. Well, where in the literature does it say that? And also, you have to understand every single person is different. And so it depends on how they, you know, respond to it. Am I sitting here saying that we should heavily, with a barbell and dumbbells, load spinal flexion? I'm not saying that, but isn't doing a dumbbell or a barbell RDL kind of up that avenue? And isn't that exercise that works well for some, some, pop, some people in the population? Yeah. So I guess it depends. And so my answer would be, I don't see an issue with it. Depends on the context, right? Individualization. What's the context there? But if you're loading your spine inflection with your body weight only, going through some mobility drills, flexion, I'm sorry, flexibility, yoga drills, I don't really see any problems with it if it doesn't bother you. If it bothers you, then obviously change some stuff up. No, oh, well said. It's, it's too simple, right? It's too yeah. simple to, it's almost like, well, I, I would have never thought of that. Yeah. It's some, some things are so simple. It's like they, they want like a research paper to say, oh, well, the research says this. Well, the research isn't always 100% accurate because then look look at who the, the, the case study, the, the people, the, the population that they were testing, right? If, if the research study tested 20 people who were 15-year-old female volleyball players and you're a 65-year-old male, Obviously, it doesn't really apply to you. So that, to me, is I never understand why people look at it like that. Oh, well said. And, like, I think we should go into our last question because I feel like we could chat for, like, three hours on this, like, anything. <laughs> but, uh, for, yeah, for the last question, if the audience wanted to find out more about you and what you do um, and where they can find you online, if you want to plug any product, talk, or whatever you want, you can right now on my show. Appreciate that, brother. I think the simple thing is on Instagram. So my first name, my last name, and then under on, on underscore. Um, I'm pretty responsive on there. I truly love interacting on social media, especially Instagram. Um, I put up stories. I put up content on a weekly basis. Um, I love giving back, paying it forward. And you know, when I say that, I truly mean that because if you reach out to me. I look at it as something that, you know, it's a standard that I hold myself to that I, that I really like to respond back to people. I like to give as much as I can. I like to help out, educate, teach, give back because I don't have enough fingers and toes in my body to give you the number of people that have helped me in my journey and that have continued to help me. And so if I can do that even a little bit every day, it makes, it makes me happy. So that's probably the best place to find me. I love interacting. Hit me up and, you know, however I can help, we can, you know, I'd be, I'd be happy to. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 251 with Matthew. Man, that was awesome. 
Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. And little heads up, if you've been following me on social media, you must have seen that the official Cut to Shit Get Fit t-shirts are coming out. If you haven't seen them, they are freaking badass. I have a women's version, a men's version, a shit ton of different colors. A lot of people are super excited about it. I will be posting a link to purchase them so you can support the show and what I do every single year for you guys because this is going to be the three-year anniversary of my podcast. Super surreal to say that, and I want to thank every single person listening. So the one thing you can do is buy a T-shirt to wear out and about at the gym or just chilling at home. You won't be disappointed because the colors, man, the colors are freaking awesome. Go check it out. There's going to be a link posted on Tuesday. Don't be late to snag one because I will have it available for only a week and I'm closing the doors to purchase your very own t-shirt until next year. So don't be that person that misses out by a day. Buy it the moment I post it online. So until then... Have an awesome day, you guys. You guys are just freaking amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to my show. Until next time, you guys.